0: Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris and I'm Dave. Thanks for joining us today. We've got some really exciting stuff to announce.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to make it official. The live events are
0: back. Remember those things? Yeah, it's been a while since we've since we've had one. I think it's maybe year year and a half something like that anyway we're excited this is gonna be great
1: yeah we're gonna be doing a live stream video podcast with award-winning author professor and student of life Jacqueline Bussey at 7 p.m central time on September
0: 23rd yeah we're really excited for this Uh, Jacqueline's gonna be talking about her brand new book it was just released yesterday it's called love without limits Jesus radical vision for love with no exceptions you can find it on Amazon wherever you get books uh check this book out. There's a lot of buzz about it, but we are super excited to talk with her on the 23rd of September and introduce her to all of you.
1: Yeah. You can participate in this event in one of two ways. You can come to studio 324 in Rochester on September 23rd. Uh, Jacqueline will be giving a talk. She'll be taking some Q and a, and we'll be having music and food beverages and a time to connect with each other, but make sure to get uh, go online and, and you'll find out more information there about how to get tickets. Uh, seating is limited. And so we don't want you to miss out on this, on this great event.
0: Absolutely. But maybe you don't live in in Minnesota or you're a little too far away, uh, or uh, if you just can't join us in person for whatever reason, uh, we do live streaming these events. So you can check out our website for all the details. And as we get a little closer, you'll find some ways to engage there.
1: Yeah. As for today's episode, we have been having these fascinating conversations. We've been sharing sharing them with you throughout the summer. And we've been talking with professional communicators in response to kind of what I see as a crisis of communication that we Mm -hmm. see all the time in our society. We have so many ways of communicating, but it seems that we are more and more isolated. We're living in our echo chambers and kind of sitting on our own alone. I think we can do this better. I absolutely believe we can do this better. And we've learned so much from our guests in these episodes.
0: Yeah. So today we're going to share a talk that we had with Dwayne Sauk. He talks about his life experiences and how he brings learnings about communication and engaging with people to his latest adventure as a state representative in the Minnesota legislature.
1: Because really, why would we need to communicate well in politics? Welcome to episode 70, The Communication Struggle is Real, part three.
2: I'm Dwayne Selk, and in life right now I'm at the uh, third phase or remake of myself, started out going to school and being a band director, which has shaped my life in that everything is in the context of what I hear. So I'm very hearing-oriented, I think, is driven from that. Later in life, I moved into real estate and became a manager and then an owner of a real estate company, and so that created a whole different set of kind of skills that were being unloaded onto me, I guess not a given to me, just <laughs> sets of skills in various functions in life. And then I thought I had retired and moved on to easy things, and, and um, somebody <laughs> suggested that I um, might enjoy <clears throat> being in politics. And so I, I uh, made an effort to try to become elected, and uh, now I am. And... Um, That's an interesting experience also because uh, um, I've moved from being the person that's essentially in charge of my industry and being able to lead and describe and have the E.F. Hutton moment, if you will, where when uh, E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody turns and listens because this is an authority of some experience and that sort of thing, to the point where now I'm a freshman and in the minority. And essentially, it's the anti-EF Hutton. You know, essentially, <laughs> <laughs> nobody turns to listen. And, and essentially, everybody, if they are caused to listen, will essentially ignore it anyway and move on to what they intended to do anyway. So, so could, could you say what, what's, your, what's your position in government for, for the benefit of our, our listeners? Well, I'm a, I'm a representative, state representative in the state of Minnesota's legislature. So you've had um, kind of a wide
0: variety of experiences professionally, but um, maybe just starting with with your experience now and and going back as as it makes sense, um, in that world, why is communication important and especially in light of what you just said in a place where it doesn't seem like it's necessarily listened to?
2: Well, I think that one of the things that um, even if you have no specific political power or political recognition in in the environment that I'm working in, you always have voice. And and there's almost no time that that you're told you can't speak. It's a matter of then will you have impact. And therein comes the issue of trying and making the effort to communicate in a way that will have impact. And so um, as I think about that, it often depends on the circumstance or what it is we're talking about as to how I choose to communicate. Um, there are lots of different avenues that you can go down in terms of drawing the person into your conversation and or um, sending something out that hopefully will impact the way they're thinking.
1: So clearly we have a situation in our government where there's no conflict <laughs> <laughs> How do you handle uh, communication and, and and conflict in your role uh, as a as a representative?
2: I, I think that that um, It's probably arranged in terms of the structure that I'm living in. It's arranged in a way where conflict is really only difficult if it's at matched power level. So if there's a conflict of thinking or a conflict of what you may be able to accomplish, if that conflict exists, for instance, right now, if it it exists within the minority party, then it's only an issue of how are we... Which things are we going to value and how are we going to describe them so that we have impact on what the majority might be thinking? If we are in the majority, then we have the kind of the converse of that is if there's conflict inside of that discussion, then what we're trying to sort out is to be able to find a place where we would communicate with the strength of a single message because There's certainly no benefit of having a majority and being able to move things forward if you don't agree. So if you have conflict that is stopping you from moving forward or agreeing, you are not gonna accomplish anything. Then there's the cross-party conflict that, that can exist. So let's say I'm having a fairly strong discussion with somebody from the opposite party. There is an end to that that's sort of adjudicated against the discussion by the fact that they are in the majority. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. they always will win Mm -hmm. in that conflict relationship. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, it depends on who's involved in this particular conflict that could exist. So if it's a verbal conflict on ideas or whatever, it'll be something that I always structure in my head. I say, where can I get to? Why would I talk about this? And does it create benefit or movement? So, for instance, just some quick things. If I'm discussing something with a majority who maybe is the chair of a committee that I'd like to influence, I may make judgments. I don't want to push so hard and I don't want to create a negative emotion because then Mm -hmm. that gets attached to the idea and it's not going to move. Mm -hmm. Because the the person doesn't buy into the discussion because for them, it's just a win-lose conflict. And so you try Mm -hmm. to shape then – the dialogue, the words you use, how you phrase things, you stay away from the personal part, you try to stay with the idea part of the discussion. So those are all conscious decisions you make based on the vectors of the disagreement. Mm-hmm.
0: So you talked a little bit earlier about the importance of voice and um, especially in the minority being able to say, well, this is still our voice and this is still the way that we, that we feel. I think um, in my perspective, there's a lot of people – I think, kind of across the board who feel frustrated with current political situation and and just the inability to kind of hear from each other, actually talk to each other, actually accomplish things. So um, how do you think about that importance of voice? And also, what do you hope that, that that is still accomplishing
2: as part of the political process? At the first level, I think we as a society have set up a scenario <clears throat> in terms of understanding what it is to discuss we're influenced by other things we see happening so if we watch entertainment reporting or <laughs> entertainment dialogues and if we see that particularly it's more most effective but even if we're only hearing it we will think that dialogue takes place in the context of being entertaining and so then oftentimes we will actually say things, do things, and I'm using the word we as across society, everybody, either opinion of anything, <clears throat> in that dialogue we will start to think that we have to become entertaining like we see being done on, on an entertainment or news kind of program because we can't – we we aren't now adept at separating the the visual entertaining aspects of whether it's radio, television, or 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 internet, we d- we don't do that anymore because we don't see that much anymore. I think you know, and obviously I, I got the benefit of having seen it in an older age and having heard it in an older time, and then through my life, <clears throat> having participated in places where we got zero if we were entertaining about the way we said something, what we got was when we conveyed a motivation for somebody to adopt a new idea or a Mm. new set of values or a new way of thinking something. So what has happened is that has sort of dissipated into the clouds that idea that dialogue is wasted if you're trying to be entertaining. And, And so I think that we sometimes... The whole process gets anchored into this new set of judgments. So we don't listen the same as we might have listened mm-hmm. in different scenarios. There are times along life that we have the opportunity to do that more purely. I think young kids oftentimes actually listen and argue more cleanly hmm. because they're less impacted by these Cognitive gymnastics that we see being done on other types of discussions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, some of it has to do with the model of what we are participating in or how we think we are connecting. And then we choose words differently. We choose our um, style of communication. We choose the nature, the timbre of our voice. I mean, we can do. W- marvelous things when we're in the sense of trying to communicate with somebody. You can choose to look at them or you can choose to look away from them. You can choose to completely vis- visually ignore them and be talking to them and be using impersonal words to describe your argument or to be using personal connections to do So those are all choices that I think um, – and I would just say, I can only be what I am. So I'm a 69-year-old man who's had a lot of years of communicating in society. And so I bring that into what how I function. Some days it would be really wonderful to become 25 and completely naive as to all of the silliness that we live in and maybe be able to start over and, and <laughs> have a, a fresh view of how to communicate. Mm-hmm. But I carry the the past that I've had.
0: I love what Dwayne was sharing there. You know, we have all of these tools at our disposal for communicating, uh, whether it's uh, our voice, the tone of it, uh, our body language, our word choice, the way we make eye contact with the person that we're talking with. Um, but I think the key that he said was, you know, how we use each of those pieces of our communication tools. They really can be determined by the model of communication we're having. So who we're trying to talk to and what we're trying to convey and all those yeah, sorts of things. Yeah. You
1: know, I really hadn't thought much about are models for communicating, and and he was talking about you know the model of communication as entertainment or blood sport yeah. or, or just trying to one up one another in a moment. It's so prevalent in so many ve- venues, from politics to the classrooms to to the boardrooms. Mm-hmm. But another model is communicating to share ideas, insights, knowledge, to gain understanding of the other rather than like vanquishing your Mm -hmm. foe, right? It's quite a novel concept, don't you think?
0: Yeah. And as we continue talking, uh, you know, Dwayne talked a little bit about how his communication model works, uh, given his role in the legislature and also the importance of listening as well as
2: speaking. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the most immediate things that happened is first – when you step into this kind of role where essentially I will say the paradigm is set. I'm not going to make a new paradigm. It is. There is a division of the politics, right and left. There is a division of the amount of years that you've been in service. You're either a freshman or you're not. And those are all binary, and you either are or you are not. Now, if you are, each one of those has your space that you really should operate in. You can come in, be a freshman and in the minority, be extraordinarily overt, very external in your your um, ideas and very strong in your persuasion, and essentially be just turned off. And so then what will happen in today's world, which is is something that I'm seeing happen, is that somebody who has maybe the inconvenience of minority status and the inconvenience of being a freshman, you can do one of the things that our society has now invented to essentially give power democratically across society in that you can go through the social media or you can go through the non-traditional channels of communication and create influence, but you're not Mm -hmm. really affecting the listener that you're looking for. So you're doing it by leverage. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna put you in a weaker and weaker position publicly so that maybe now you'll start listening to me in the hmm. sense of the committee work or the argument because all of a sudden my power has been leveraged through a different channel of communication. One of the things that, that it was sort of in your question that I did, didn't ask, answer and that is structurally what's going on there when you come in as a freshman. What's happening structurally is you are given committees, which means you are given – the topics of import that you're going to try to gain experience and knowledge in. Uh, Unless you had spent three or four years gaining expertise in all of the fields of government, there's no chance that you could come into government and be completely conversant in every single one of the fields. Mm -hmm. Because the diversity is everything from agriculture to education to law to... uh, human rights and human rights, to science, to, I mean, it, it's just all over the map. And each one of them is a very, very specific set of expertises. You learn those over time. And here's where the the issue of seniority matters. It matters in a big way. There's a gentleman that sits, he's in the office right next to mine, who has been in the legislature for over 40 years. I think it's like 46 or 47 years. Mm-hmm. He's 77 years old. He's as vibrant, as any of you could be, and what he is able to carry is knowledge, perspective, and understanding mm-hmm. in all of those silos. Mm-hmm. He has a story. When I, you know, when you talk about something or you're in a conversation, he has a story about when the legislature attacked that issue 15, 20 years ago, and this is what happened, and this is how it developed, and this is how it evolved. The next week he'll shift over and he'll be in something completely different from that. And again, he has stories and understanding and context. So he is, as for, I guess, for anybody who thinks about um, term limits as being the wonderful thing that would change everything, yeah, it would. We would completely lose that sense of relationship mm. across all of our legislation that we've done over time. So you know he is very vibrant, like I said he's very um important in the process, but some would say, oh, he's been there too long hmm. Hmm. so one one thing that I heard in that
0: is um that actually being able to communicate well and and kind of however you might frame that actually requires a good amount of learning and kind of an openness to learning and an assumption that maybe we don't have all of the answers at the beginning
2: of that conversation too. Extraordinarily important. In fact, I, I would say that one of the characteristics of why I maybe have been somewhat successful in this very first term, and and this is I just realize this when people talk about me, is that oh you're really quiet, but when you talk it matters. And so you know, essentially, it's to your point: is that there is great value in just listening being certain that you have heard and that you understand. And I think in communication, this is one of my key things that has always been true, is that when you are going to be communicating, you must first know a fair amount of information about the topic, why you think what you think. But almost as important or more important is what does the other person think? How do they view this issue? If you can't get your head into their ideas, your communication is in, it doesn't matter because we're not up there to individually stand and pronounce that this is the way to think about it. Well, I suppose some people may do that, but I would say that the, the most effective legislators that I've seen up there have an extraordinarily good ability to see the topic from their expertise – And from the listener's expertise. So what's the real-life experience of the listener? How does the listener understand it? And what vocabulary, and this is what I use as cues, is oftentimes um, I'm a person that listens to linguistics and listens to the choice of words. So as you choose words in a dialogue, you are revealing to me how and what you want to talk about. So I'm just sitting there computing. Computing in the background. Oh, they use that word. Oh, they use that phrase. They said it in this way. So that means this is the channel that we can best communicate on. Is having to do with the use of those words. That the the kind of talk of dialogue that includes those that kind of thinking. And I think if both of us, um, as we would evaluate that, could benefit from listening so carefully as to understand. Not only what did they say, but why did they choose the words they chose to say that to me? What is the thought that they're trying to convey? Because we know that everybody makes a decision of what comes out of their mouth. You know, good, bad, or indifferent, they're still making a decision because they thought it was the best way to say what they wanted to say.
1: Yeah, so Dwayne's talking about what's most important. And the most important thing is figuring out what does the other person think? Why did they choose mm-hmm. those words? When did they use those communication tools? How do you wrap your head around their ideas and really their point of view? And honestly, what a concept for a legislator.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, that's, that is one of the biggest ways of, of communicating. It's translating those ideas from one person to the next. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't do that very well if you don't see where somebody else is coming from. So. Um, but as Dwayne's talking, it makes me think that, you know, our, our whole life is this process of communicating ideas. And uh, when we have tension with someone else, we have to figure out how to resolve it. And, and that's a whole practice and a process. But it's not just something that we do. It's actually the work of our whole community uh, that helps equip us and shape us with the tools to communicate.
1: So you listen closely to the, to the words that others are using. How are you intentional about the words that you
2: choose? It, it depends upon how or what the discussion is. Given a particular argument I suspect if I were to hear myself over time, I would have used different vocabulary each time I was stating that point, but it would have been influenced by who's listening. So one time I would have been talking to – we'll make these like the most obvious differences. One time I have been talking to my 86-year-old mother. One time I would have been talking to a college professor. One time I would have been talking to somebody who is a a field expert on this topic. So in each of those cases, vocabulary matters. My mother Mm -hmm. is certainly a good good understanding and that sort of thing, but she isn't a college professor. So for her, I could load a bunch of big, long, multi-syllable words on her, and it would be useless and meaningless although I could still use her vocabulary, bring the same idea across mm-hmm. using a different set of words, and she would understand it just as well. But I might do it through the idea of, of a picture or of a, mm-hmm. an idea. Like think of what it would be like if you were looking up into a mountain full of flowers and that sort of thing. And then I mm-hmm. capture that image and try to use that to communicate what's going on. Whereas with a college prof, probably not so much. I'd probably more mm-hmm. hope that I could come up with the right words. Yeah, I've talked with uh, lab te- lab technicians at the Mayo Clinic,
1: and when they explain their research to me, I love it. The ones who can be so creative with how mm-hmm. they describe their work mm-hmm. and break it down so that uh, you know the the complete outsider like myself can understand uh, mm-hmm. what they're getting
0: at. So especially in in your current role, but I think. I would say it's probably pretty true of your other, other professions as well. Um, do you have any specific ways that, that today you prepare to engage in more challenging or more difficult conversations?
2: I think of life as the preparation. Now, I know that that's evasive to your question completely. <laughs> but it is actually the, the concrete way that I have decided to give myself a way to so as I used the illusion earlier, that, that over life I was given different skills and sets and that sort of thing. And the community, society, at different times in my life has given me skills and sets. And, and so I, as a very beginning teacher, I was like 24 years old, and the staff decided, I have no idea why, but they saw something and they said, we think you should be our chief negotiator in our labor contract. Well, let's think about that. <laughs> this is a person who has zero years of teaching experience. but They saw something in the communication probably or the, that particular methodology of talking with somebody and they, they decided to grab that skill. But what they actually also did to me was they started loading up my basket with new skills, new skills, new skills. Then I moved to another town, that town. That group of colleagues all of a sudden had somebody now who had a half-full basket. And so then they might have did it again, and I did, you know, ended that role. And I only use this to say that, that actually having these roles, somebody would say, oh, you know, let's look at your resume, and you got a list of 17 things. You've been this and that and the other thing and all of that sort of thing. I see that actually as the opposite. You have a list of 17 things where society decided to load your basket, they, they asked you to be the chair of this committee. They asked you to be the thought leader in this group. They asked you to be part of a, a task force that was d- doing this or that. In doing that, they were giving me new experiences. Here, why don't you here? Here, let's build you up because someday there's going to be a time when we as a society need to have that stuff back. Yeah. We need hmm. that back for... For all of the benefit of us, you know, at different times we shaped you through life and we helped you get to a place that then we could call on it and say, okay, now. Now is when we need you to, say, first go through election, which is where people test that out. They say, you know, well, let's ask you a question. And so essentially then society says, you know what? We're hearing what we invested We Mm. now think that that's there, and we're going to send that up to the legislature. Well, what happened was is they listened to the conversation. They listened to the way to communicate. They listened to how you think. Those are things that filled your basket. So as you go up there now, what they're expecting is that I'm going to go up there and have that basket of tricks. Mm. What is in reality, they already know what I will do. Because what's going to happen is everything we do in life is usually a function of the past we've lived through, the experiences we've had. And that's what will come out of you even if you don't think about it. And so that's oftentimes when we talk about all these other aspects of like how do you prepare for a real big deal or how do you do that. I have been. (laughs) Other people have been kind of like here, Mm -hmm. here, here. Put this. Come on. Grab these things. Then you get there. And it's very natural. It's, it isn't like you have to reconfigure yourself. In fact, that's the only thing I, I, I promise people, is I will go up there and be who you see. I am that person, that's what will be there. I really don't function well, particularly at this age anymore, of trying to refinagle myself to be a certain kind of voice to be able to say certain things to, to do things that would be your mission up there. My response to that, if somebody came to me campaigning and that sort of thing and said, you know, I need you to go up and say these things. And I'm like, you need to then run for office because I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can only bring myself up there. And it's all the things society has prepared. That's what will mm-hmm. come out of me. So Dwayne's talking and he says, all that society
1: has given me, I will share. And I love the idea that we have been prepared. We've been taught, we've been reared by our community and our society to bring this wisdom forward. And when the time is right, we'll be ready to bring
0: it. Yeah, it's just something that kind of comes naturally. Yeah, Uh, It's something that we've been poured into over time. But um, as we continue this conversation, Dwayne shared a little bit about what this looks like in nuts and bolts practical terms in his life
2: and in his work. So when I get up there, on any of the big tough issues which gets to your point of how do you prepare for hard issues I think what you do is you actually think about your past about that issue in your past how hmm. was that important would have that mattered at a certain place in time in your life so you know and, 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 and you know if we take one issue let's say violence gun violence crime and all that sort of stuff i've got a A strange arc of things that I've been involved in. I was in the military. So when somebody says, rah, 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 about this or that, about the things about, you know, being able to or being afraid of, I've shot those critters. I know what that (laughs) is like. I know what that gun can do. And I know what its correct use is. One of the strongest things I've heard, and it's influenced me, was a Vietnam vet was talking about his Concern for the availability of weapons. And he said, I've used those weapons. I've used them, what they were built for. I've done that. That's not what we want. Hmm. And he was just pure and clean. That understanding, the way he communicated that, had a home in my head. I'd been in the military. I have used those weapons. I have not had to go to war. But those ways of understanding things are ways that can communicate. You can talk to somebody in a way that makes some sense to them. And then, you know, we collectively as a society, we sort out how we want to deal with it. That's the one big, great, great big thing is I, c- I cannot be smart enough to state something that society will automatically agree with. There's no such thing. There's no way of communicating it where all of society will immediately fall down and say, oh, yes, that is the way to think. There's no such thing. We uh, collectively think as a society and we collectively make decisions based on the influences that we're hearing. And, you know, you can argue whether the influence have been good lately or bad lately or when the good ones or when were the bad ones. And oftentimes they all align with some of our personal decisions in life and, and uh, <clears throat> make a stronger resonance in our life. And others do weaker. One of the resonances in my life is I, I was in college in 67, 68, 69. Well, if anybody's listening <laughs> and understands, <clears throat> that was an interesting time in our society the United mm-hmm. States. We killed off three or four people that were very strong in civil rights. As a society, we did that. I was part of those efforts to march and be concerned about that. And I must say that in the, in, we thought we had communicated the issue. We thought we had communicated the need for change. We thought we had communicated what needed to change. And a couple of years ago, I was struck by how I was waking up to see it again, Mm. see people saying the same things we had said in Mm. 68, 67, 69, those kinds. of. It's a little bit disappointing. Um, I now have a a clearer understanding. There's a black lady who was was, um, talking about um, the social unrest. And, and with the right, just a smooth, easy emotion, said, "We're tired." And that struck me as being so real, so clean as to understanding, in 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 a way of communicating. So I'm just tired mm-hmm. to understand why they might be protesting. To understand why they uh, uh, young men might be um, physically acting the way they're acting, we're just tired. That that response gives you a very good understanding if you're willing to hear it.
1: What else should we know? Just unload everything else.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> I think that you know the story of. of Having seen our social challenges earlier in my life and seen them just a couple of years ago, that that arc is what brings me back in the hopes that we might be expressing it in a way that will move us forward. There's always the challenge to do things better. That None of us do anything that would ever be in a leadership role that isn't purely for the purpose of we would like it to be better. Um, I've worked here at church on a number of projects. There's a gentleman in this church who I respect at the highest level. He is as conservative as I am liberal. He, is, he sees the world differently than I do. I usually test my ideas as to whether he sees or is willing to when is going. And, and I think that that happens amongst us also. And you know, I will grab the other way; he will grab back and forth. And so it's it's one of those things where we both value what we're adding to that discussion, mm. and we should live with that confidence.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is one
2: of those stories that I've shared with some people who have said, in been in at dialogues at tables where discussions were going on, like I was talking about. As a society, who's you know filling my basket. And that's one of the pieces that's in my basket now is somebody, after we had been in a discussion, said, how do you always come up with a statement that is so meaningful after just sitting and listening to the discussion over a long period of time? And I'm really convinced, because I know this to be true, I never thought about it. Hmm. It just seemed to be the natural the thing that came from me—that to me is the reality of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the collected all of us. So, in a joint dialogue, whether it's here at church or down at City Hall or in the development group, you sit and you talk and you talk, and it's they're sharing these ideas, but those ideas are kind of operating up into the the, the sphere of all people are in that thinking cloud, if you will, mm. all we need to do is to recognize that that's available and then to be willing and confident to say, I see this. Mm. Mm. And, and that's the, some of us at our age now are willing to say, that's the Holy Spirit. That idea mm. actually was the Holy Spirit because it's the collected consciousness of all of us coming together and being realized. And I think that, you know, this is, I, I suppose, my imagination, but I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty confident that it's, there is a reality that if we could collectively identify how we really see the Holy Spirit being alive in those things, we would all have those moments where we would say, I'm going to add this thought And that thought added could be the critical piece where more was revealed from that.
0: Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us.
2: (laughs) Did we get anywhere? Yeah. It's a little bit dangerous, but you you knew what you were getting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Holy Spirit is the collected consciousness of all of us. What a beautiful way of saying it. Look, you might be a person of faith, or, or maybe not. You may be someone who, is intuitively, uh, who intuitively understands a term or idea or concept like the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's really your first time hearing it. But think of it for a second. Imagine the collected consciousness of society being channeled through you the collected consciousness of society being channeled through you, the collected energies and passions and success and failures and hopes and dreams and ideas from your ancestors to your neighbors to your children and beyond. That gathered wisdom poured into your basket. It's a gift. And on some level, it is your access to the divine, your access to the eternal. These these people, they have filled your basket. They have prepared you. They have invited you and gotten you ready for a moment such as this. How will you live into this moment? Are you ready to listen and to speak? Are you ready to consider and to respond? Are you ready to reach into your basket and see what's there? The Holy Spirit is the collected consciousness of all of us. And it is being channeled through you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on in the Sandbox, including our live event coming up on September 23rd, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com.
1: Yeah, you know, we'd love to hear from you as always. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us
0: on iTunes and join in the conversation. And be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.